All right. So another episode of Two Guys in the Cloud. This is Elliot Barrett. I'm joined with or by. I'm joined with. No, I'm joined with. <laughs> Bob Agno. Bob Agno. <laughs> that was your cue, Bob. Yeah, it was. I, I was a little late. <laughs> and also our special guest, Mr. Jesse Anderson. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Happy Excellent. to be here. So um, just, you know, here at Two Guys in the Cloud, we have developed the practice of bringing in our guests and our friends and talking about all things cloud. And that's uh, brought us into a lot of different topics, which have been fascinating along the way. Um, today, we've asked Jesse Anderson to join us to talk about uh, what what in our industry is called CSP. And, you know, I think that this conversation is going to kind of reach out to different areas. But the, the way I would sort of generally bundle it is that it's a business conversation. You know, it's the it's how the cloud has changed the business model of what I, I would characterize as technology providers and what the implications are in terms of those business models. And it really is going to go in a lot of different directions. And, um, you know, CSP is something that I know, Jesse, you and I spend a lot of time with. So this is a topic that's very near and dear to our hearts. And, um, you know, for those that are not familiar with the acronym, and most people may not be, it's Cloud Solution Provider. And it originates, actually, as far as I can tell, it originates as a program that was uh, launched by Microsoft at this point, I want to say almost five years ago. And, uh, you know, and, and that, you know, and then you were, you know, in that program, you were to become a cloud solution provider. But then that acronym CSP is really, I think it's just sort of covered a lot of ground. Today, when we talk about CSP, we're talking about a program, we're talking about an offering. There's a lot of different, you know, kind of things that it applies to. Um, but so let me, let me ask, you know, Jesse, it's, it would be unfair for me to not kind of go beyond that in terms of a definition. I mean, how, how would you frame this, you know, beyond what I just said? Don't we want to hear from Jesse and his background first before he goes oh my into gosh. his expertise? Right. I mean, my goodness, we've got to have a proper introduction. I think. You know, you're, you're so right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Um, like my background. Right. Yeah, yeah so Jesse, tell, and you know what? He's right because it's been that's been one of the cooler parts of this whole thing is getting people's backgrounds. So that's right. Where do you come uh, sure. from? Who are you? So you who am I? That's a more than an hour's long conversation. But my background. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess now I'm a little over twenty years in this industry. Um, weirdly, I think kind of like a lot of people stumbled my way into the technology landscape in the late nineties because it was booming. Right. I, uh, and ended up joining a reseller. So I've been part of the reseller community, what's called the reseller community. Um, ever since I've had, uh, this is now, I believe, uh, in terms of paper, the fifth reseller I've worked for, uh, and I've had two stints at Microsoft in the middle. So part of it has been working everything from sales support to being on the publisher side and managing programs from, you know, uh, from a, from a publisher side and understanding how the channel adapts to them to uh, where I am today, um, helping to find sort of uh, drive some strategy and business outcomes in the CSP landscape. So, uh, I mean, my background, weirdly enough, I started, I, I went to art school and here I am today doing nothing and nothing to do with art. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that's my background in a nutshell. I'll keep it short. No, I, I just love, I love the art school connection. I just, <laughs> once again, cause that's, I'm, I'm not kidding. Every time we talk to an expert in the technology field in almost invariably where they started was nowhere near technology and somehow they ended up here for whatever reason, but oh, yeah, no, art school was a, a means to keep me as far away from business at, at the time. That's what I thought, you know, like I want to have this free lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm happy with where, where I ended up. So yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And well, I agree. Let, yeah. I, I need to hear about expertise. You were sculptor, painter, where, where, where I, I was, I did illustration, some painting and lar I was majoring actually in, um, art education was one of the things that I was okay. really kind of focused on. So yeah. Yeah. Right. So do you really still cool. dabble or is it something that you just don't do anymore? I, I dabble, but not, not, yeah, I, I would, it, it's one of those things like, you know, you, you become rusty. I'm, I'm not what I once was in that field. I'll put it that way. Right. Okay, cool. That painting yeah. behind you is that, did you? No, no, that? no, that's, uh, that's, that's not me. That's uh, <laughs> called the Ides of March. 
Is that really what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. All right. So, um, okay. So I'm glad we had that moment of learning more about <laughs> yeah. Jesse. Thank you. Uh, all right. But, you know, like sort of pivoting to this thing about CSP, right? You know, I help us frame that a bit further, you know, beyond what I said, how else would you sort of tee it up for folks? Yeah. I mean, I think, and I'll, I'll try to keep it general, right? Like, it, but, but I think that, you know, in the technology world, the cloud is one of those, um, you know, uh, seismic shifts in, in, in the entire, you know, technology landscape and the cloud solution provider program. What I think it really represents is an acknowledgement that, Every company that serves customers in one way, shape, or form uh, in their technology needs is going to have, have to adapt to a cloud future. The, you know, I'll, I'll speak specifically about Microsoft when they introduced it. A good example is that Microsoft managed multiple partner channels that all sold products in different ways, whether it was OEM or large account resellers that sold agreements or hosters. And um, from both, I think, a Microsoft and a channel partner and a customer perspective, this meant navigating all these different sets of rules and different modes of engagement to sometimes arrive at the same place. So, uh, you know, when, when Microsoft saw and, and anticipated how the cloud was going to change the way that they deliver their services and solutions to customers, I think that it was an acknowledgement that the role that partners play and what customers are looking for is largely driven by uh, around problem statements and how, you know, how companies are going to help customers solve those problems. It's not so much a product based conversation anymore. So the cloud solution provider program was introduced as sort of a one size fits all program with a lot of white space in it. So it's a way for customer, let's just say for a partner to deliver cloud solutions to a customer but with the expectation that they're filling a lot of white space in that agreement with additional value that they bring, whatever it may be. Again, different partners or different companies have these different identities and attaching those identities to sort of Microsoft uh, cloud products um, is gonna result in very deliverables, so to speak. And that meets kind of a, you know, a, a infinite customer landscape, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so one thing that, as you're kind of riffing through that, I'm thinking about, you know, business impact, right? Just from an industry perspective. I and, mean, you know, the, the challenge that we have in this is that we're so close to it. It's hard to like remove yourself and think about it from a further distance. And, you know, one thing that I think you and I, Bob, all of us are beyond, but it's worth noting, you know, in the footnote of this business is, you know, the thing about technology, it moves really fast. And when it moves really fast, it leaves business models behind. Right. And, you know, business models that don't adapt die, you know, and that's and typically when we think about it, we think about it in the truest sense from a technology perspective. You know, that I have this technology and uh, I sell it any form of it. But when that technology becomes obsolete, if I don't become good at something else, I'm going to go out of business. In this context, it, a lot of it had to do with transactions in the sense that what if you were new to this business and you didn't see the last three decades, you know, what you didn't know was that there were and have been companies that were billions of dollars, that all they did was transact licensing. That's it. They were a clearinghouse for licenses and Microsoft was part of it. And, you know, there are all these different forms of agreements that we, you know, we have come to know. But the value that these companies had was they understood all the nuances and the details of those agreements. And that's what they got paid to do was to trans to act as a almost a clearinghouse for Microsoft. And, you know, in the day, there were only a handful of companies that had that ability. You know, I, I want to say in the United States, there may have been 12, 15, maybe at a certain point, maybe globally, 40, 50. Bob, would you say something like that? I mean, oh, not sure. a lot. Yeah, yeah sure. not a ton. And, you know, what, what has happened with CSP is that, you know, as all of what Microsoft delivers comes vis-a-vis -vis the cloud, which really doesn't have paper to it. It's not, you don't need to sign an agreement and go through a whole bunch of documents to get access to that technology. You're not going to get a CD. You're not going to get a DVD. You're not going to load it into You're going to download it from the cloud and you're going to hit accept and that's how it's going to go. That licensing transactional clearinghouse value is not there anymore. So what's happened is these handful of companies where they had this niche have given up the business to this 
other alternative, which is this notion of a cloud solution provider, which provides not just the technology, but the entitlement to use that technology, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the cloud. And, you know, we've watched you, all three of us have watched as these very big companies that once upon a time made all their money in licensing have had to migrate over into this you know, uh, what I would call cloud integrator, cloud managed services space called CSP. And today they don't have 10 other competitors. They've got 10,000 other competitors because the marketplace has gotten that much bigger. It's really interesting. And there's there's reams of the other detail behind that. But that to me is that's a business impact that this whole thing has had. And it's hard to like unpack. I mean, I don't even know if I'm doing it justice by saying it like that the way I just did. Well, it's also very interesting from a client side, too, because clients enterprise clients that have dealt with microsoft have lived eas or enterprise agreements forever right and it was a contract basically for three years with that client that had zero flexibility to it in fact you could grow it but you couldn't decline it it was very rigid it was very difficult to work with and most clients felt kind of trapped doing an enterprise agreement with Microsoft. And it was very limited in ways they could change things. And many clients felt that if I'm gonna do business with Microsoft and I'm gonna get a discount, I have to have an EA, even though my business model may not fit that structure. Mm -hmm. And what this new model has allowed is flexibility for clients to make other decisions. And to Microsoft's credit, they woke up, right? And, Microsoft used to say they're the number one software company in the world. And now you never hear them say that because they're all about cloud. And right. this is really the turn towards that and away from rigid EA agreements that give no flexibility to the client uh, for an ever needing scenario. I mean, COVID is a great example. Uh, you know, when you're in COVID and you all of a sudden have to lose, you know, 20% of your, your sales staff or employees and, and you continue to have to pay for them like they're there, that's not fair and clients won't stand for things like that moving forward. So the flexibility that this program gets is such a huge benefit for clients. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting to me to hear to Microsoft's credit because you know the truth is also that this is one of the one of the proper positive benefits of capitalism in my mind in the sense that you know it's competition you know a, you know AWS was born in the cloud you know Google yep. born in the cloud they didn't right. have you know they didn't grow up in a in a they didn't have that pedigree of working with clients in three year fixed based agreements you know they just showed up and started charging for consumption charging for subscriptions and you know, had that flexibility built in. So Microsoft had to respond. They had yep. to change their business model. And in changing their business model, they changed the business model of those partners that had been facilitating this legacy business, which was, you know, the enterprise agreement fixed-based business and turning into what has now become CSP. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's very, it's very interesting. I know. So, you know, and I know we're missing so much, Jesse. What else are we missing in this? You know, what no, else? No, I mean, I, I think, I think that right, one of the things that I think is interesting as, um, because you're right, over the course of the last five years, right, one of the things, and give or take, right, I'll use that timeline, that, that over the last five years, it's this whole CSP thing has gone from being seen as an experiment to the little engine that could to being a primary means of driving business, right? And it's been such a rapid change. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me, you talk about how uh, that some of these companies have been built around their expertise in those legacy, what we'll call historical licensing agreements, those rigid type of EAs that Bob was talking about. And I think that it's been really interesting that Part of that change has been managing um, expectations with customers. Number one, there was this entire industry built around that and customers had learned how to operate within that space. So there's a certain level of comfort that customers, sales reps, you know, you name it, everyone who works in this space had with the old way of doing things. So part of the change has been moving into this new world that actually is much simpler when you really get down to it. It's a simple model. But it's a fear that maybe it's too simple. I'm missing something, you know, that that when you come to the cloud, you, you, you deal with customers that are used to maybe saying that I've got to estimate a high watermark to be able to really, you know, enter into an agreement the right way and, and 
plan over the next three to five years to, to make sure that I'm really uh, recognizing my maximum savings or sitting down at the table and planning properly. And one of the things that's been really interesting and I think really healthy is to see, you know, that the way that customers have adapted to this and understanding that once it registers with them and Bob brought up COVID, I think there have been a, a, a few events. That's the biggest one I can think of that resulted in this really registering with a customer that that flexibility, it's not a price conversation anymore, right? Like customers had been doing their software spend as this commodity that they just go out and they spend and the lowest price wins, but, you know, simplifying it a little bit. But is much more about um, how do I make sure that the technology that I'm consuming works best for my company's needs, right? They, you know, what is the right way for me to operate uh, on a go-forward basis? Cloud used to seem like this big barrier to entry. There was all this education needed around it. Now we're kind of rounding the corner where the simplicity of it, I think, is really registering in a big way. And part of that is because of these external factors that have forced people to kind of reconcile what they knew in the past in terms of how they did business and what the needs of doing business are going to be in the future because other unpredictable events will happen uh, and hopefully they're never like this but those uh, yeah. those unpredictable events are uh, are are a business need that that now it's registering in a different way that what's right for my company is going to be flexibility and value it's not just a matter of saying what's the lowest price i can spend for the next few years yeah and the example that we've i think we've always you know, we have come to use is, you know, I'm in the hospitality industry at the beginning, January 1st, 2020. I'm in the hospitality industry. Everything's great. I've got a thousand employees. It's worked out because, you know, the enterprise agreement that I agreed to, let's say three months prior, you know, I contemplated that I'm going to have a thousand, maybe 1500 employees, and I'm going to commit to Microsoft you know, 1500 licenses for, let's just say 365, which is their cloud work workplace suite and you know all things being equal i got the best price because i committed to 1500 seats and all things are good and then what happened was of course the pandemic hit and i've had to lay off 75 percent of my workforce unfortunately because i'm in a fixed agreement for three years i still have to pay for you know 1500 seats for three years but the alternative is having a csp agreement which lets me work on a subscription basis would let me, as I reduce my workforce, reduce my commitment to Microsoft within the month. And so, you know, I think, you know, the sentiment is that it's sort of creating, you know, you're finally creating a marriage between what the technology can do, the flexibility the technology provides with the legal instrument that's the, you know, connecting you between, you know, Microsoft and the client, right? That's one of the benefits is that it, provi it provides the financial flexibility that the cloud really enables. Um, and then the other part to it is CSP lets partners bundle in services. That's the other thing that that's another thing that, you know, like to try and explain that to a layman, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's our kind of, that's our task now, right? So, you know, like, again, the three of us, we, we live this every day, but one of the clear benefits we knew that was back with an enterprise agreement, I couldn't sell services as part of that enterprise agreement. I was selling the technology, just the technology through the enterprise agreement. But if I was going to deliver services, it was going to be through another instrument and statement of work or something like that with CSP, because it's a reselling model, meaning that I'm going to first buy the, the subscription from Microsoft and then resell that subscription to my client. I can bundle in services within it and that lets my customer you know, have one single transaction, which is incredibly important and has other implications. It does. And and, and it, I think it also creates a, a completely new ecosystem, right? That for, for customers, right? To go out and look at, you know, what we've seen is that um, companies like from small, um, you know, small technology providers that that are very specific in what they do to global telecoms, right? There's this whole landscape now where the way that that's delivered to a customer, it runs this massive spectrum and it, and it gives customers amazing choice, right? It also forces innovation on the companies that, you know, or forces companies that are providing um, any one of the, you know, that wide spectrum of services to innovate as well because our competitors are constantly changing and that is definitely driving more value to customers. That That's one of the exciting things that we see is that, 
it's a to a certain degree it's a forced innovation on on um, technology providers or, or companies that are delivering this to customers but it we've all seen it coming for a long time and it's exciting to see because um, it does allow us to strategize a lot more and to think a lot more about what is our Id identity going forward how do we put these pieces together when you think about services and products right in the past they would overlap in these very isolated incidents once in a while and as a result you know often they were these siloed conversations maybe on a customer side uh you know it, different companies providing different solutions to a customer that combined into you know one customer experience now what we see is that that's all coming together and it's forcing not just innovation but it's forcing uh you know it's it's forcing i think everyone to look at these as a cohesive experience not separate engagements that are driving to a you know, a combined Frankenstein customer solution, they're meant to be together and they really do work better when they're put together. Um, and I think it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and so, I'm sorry, Bob, go ahead. Yeah, so what's interesting in the point I, I was, you, you were making, Jesse, was how that CSP has really started to grow um, and morph a bit. Because when I was at Microsoft, it was meant for small businesses only. Right. Um, they would never talk about this program with large enterprises because they never thought it was a fit. But what I've seen is that it's absolutely a fit for larger enterprises and even from small to medium to large type of businesses, because everyone needs that flexibility. It's not just a small hundred person shop offering. It's for everybody. And, you know, large organizations that have been stuck on the EA are now starting to realize um, the value and the flexibility they have in this program. And it's really starting to turn negotiations with Microsoft much different from, you know, it's trying to struggle over an EA and what products do I want to have it in? What's my count? And did, am I compliant? Am I not compliant? Did I true up? Right. It really changes that conversation into more of a productive conversation, I believe, for everybody at the table. Um, I spent a long time in Microsoft compliance, and that is not an easy conversation. Uh, and I can tell you, 95% of the engagements we did, um, clients were non compliant in one area or not. So uh, everyone's non compliant under an EA. And when you remove that, uh, dynamic, it makes so much easier to transact business. And, you know, I, I think those are things that sometimes get forgotten, but it's really a different way to do business and interact with clients. That's a more effective way of doing business, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think the bridge here is, you know, like, I mean, you know, like we talk about software asset management, right? You know, in the yep. sense that, I mean, and I know this is your, this is your backyard, Bob, you know, in the sense that, Again, go back in time because, you know, folks can listen to this discussion and not be as familiar with the trappings of an enterprise agreement. Right. So, you know, right. it's when we when we talk about compliance, it's back to that hospitality example. I had fifteen hundred employees and I committed to Microsoft that I would be, have fifteen hundred employees. So I paid for fifteen hundred employees and, you know, the commitment was over a three year period. But what happens if I doubled my workforce within a single year? still paying for 1500 employees and at the end of the year the idea is to as you mentioned true up you know basically go back to microsoft and say hey i i hired 1500 more people i owe you this right and you know that that window is where that compliance thing happens a lot right where the organization yep. just you know whether for whatever motive and sometimes it's just not being efficient didn't keep track of their their growth and then there was this delta and that's in this very transactional experience of the enterprise agreement where it is manual. And that's how those companies, you know, I mentioned those companies that lived prior to the world of cloud. That's where they made their money. That's why they were clearing houses. That was why they kept track of everything. But, you know, with the cloud, there is no transaction like that. It's just either they're subscribed or they're not subscribed. There isn't this lost visibility. So I'm always wondering, as more and more technology goes into the cloud and there's less and less in terms of what is an EA for, or enterprise agreement footprint, does SAM, the software asset management, have a shelf life? Is it going away? And what does that look like in terms of version two? For sure, it's a, it's a dead man walking. But with that said, right, there's always going to be data center assets uh, in play. 
most clients are not going to go 100% in the cloud. And I'm talking data center now. From a email desktop standpoint, I would consider that most companies are already in the cloud. They're in Office 365 from a Microsoft standpoint already. So um, compliance moving forward is all data center related and really understanding where your your data and where your um, software assets are most in play is, is important because clients, as we've talked about in other uh, podcasts, are in a hybrid environment. They are not only running a data center or multiple data centers, and they're also in the cloud. So you have to know, one, how to license most effective uh, that environment, and then two, what are you going to continue to do on-prem? So uh, there always will be probably an on-prem for the, for the near future, but uh, SAM is really morphing into more um, cloud economics. And then what I am willing to bet that is going to be the next big thing is cloud management. And cloud management to me is the future because clients are going to have multi-cloud scenarios. They're going to have um, you know different workloads and different clouds. They're going to have multiple bills. They're going to have all kinds of all kinds of scenario trying to manage their uh, their public clouds that it's going to be a process and the way i see software asset management really morphing is into cloud management and what are you doing with those workloads are you getting your best bang for your buck and are you optimizing those workloads in the multi-cloud scenario so um, i see it really going to cloud management as uh more and more data centers start closing and more and more uh, consumption is created in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I have a question on that, Bob. Like, you know, it, it seems to me from from engagements that I have with customers is that the the cloud economics conversation right now seems to be going through this sort of renaissance. I'm, I'm curious if what I'm seeing is what you're seeing, right? Is that in the past, the software asset management conversation was about, was part of, you know, I'm going to let you into my house to find all my dirty laundry, right? You're, you're, you're here to tell me uh, what's wrong with my environment. And usually it was a compliance thing. Like, hey, I want to, I want you to tell me how non-compliant I am. That's right. Um, what I'm seeing now that when I'm talking to customers, it's, it's, it's a much more, um, I need you to help me figure out how to move to the cloud, right? That's where I am seeing the conversation come in to say, I need to right size. I need to look at. I'm moving from on-prem to the cloud, right? I'm uh, this this entirely internal, uh, you know, on-premise environment. Um, but I don't know exactly how to do that, and I need to right size, and I need to, you know. So it seems like with this cloud boom, the nature of cloud economics is changing, or what used to be software asset management is that is that am I seeing kind of what you're experiencing? Yeah, for sure. So I really think of it in two ways, Jesse. So there's the the dynamics of understanding what it's going to cost you in the cloud versus what you're doing today. So I would call that the economic standpoint and then what the migration cost is, right? So there's that. But there's also um, the licensing aspect from uh, a Microsoft standpoint, because a lot of these clients are still on EAs and they have things like hybrid use benefits, rights. And um, you know you don't want to be double paying for your SQL Server um, that's running not only on prem but also in the cloud. And Microsoft has special programs to allow um, you know to be able to do running in 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 two places in your data center and in the cloud. So the licensing aspect doesn't go away 100%. It's just another vehicle from the cloud, and clients need to understand that because if they don't. They will double pay, and you know we we bang on this 30% of all uh, cloud spend is wasted. What Gardner says, and it's a fact because clients are not understanding the dynamics of licensing in an EA and some of the other aspects when they move, and when they do that, they could be costing themselves money. Um, and it, it's a it's a scary proposition if you're not uh, planning it correctly. Yeah, this is actually, I think, where, you know, and again, I'm going to kind of keep pulling us back in time. And, you know, they talk about those companies and the companies that started in that EA world were just transactional and have had to evolve to a place where they're, you know, cloud integrators and managed services providers, which, you know, that's happened. 
one of the benefits of coming from that pedigree, coming from that history is today they stand ready to provide the insight that, that relates to the enterprise agreement that transact the licensing component because that's where they grew up but have also that competency that strength around cloud integration and bundling services and being a csp they're both right they're that csp but they're also capable of doing this you know licensing conversation so nothing is lost in translation i think it's important because there are you know we talk about how there was that handful of companies and then there's the tens of thousands of csps or other um you know what i would call boutique cloud providers today that provide that bundled uh, service and support of 365 or Azure, let's say AWS or anything else, they don't have that licensing background. So they're not going to be as sophisticated as it relates to that hybrid environment or all of, you know, the the backstory that's there. Um, it's, you know, to me, it's fascinating how companies evolve, where they come from, where their strengths are because of it. And that's, you know, that's part of the story, I think. You know, Microsoft will, I don't want to say punish you, but um, will charge you more for running their stack in AWS. They just will, right? Um, they say it, they'll, you'll pay 5X more for running a Windows server in AWS versus Azure. Um, so, you know, it, they're obvious that Microsoft is making a play to make sure that their workloads um, run the best and the most cost efficiently in Azure. And they are trying to monopolize that type of scenario. So clients make it a no brainer. And some clients are going to say, you know what? I love AWS. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to pay extra. But when you, when you're looking to cut costs, you're looking at doing, um, you know, other things to optimize your, your scenarios. It's important that clients start looking at multi-cloud. Right. Um, AWS got out to an early lead and that's classic Microsoft, by the way, Microsoft loves to sit back, take a quick look at what's going on and then try to do it better. If you look at any technology that they've ever had, they've done that. Go yeah. back to Exchange and Lotus Notes and go back to anything. How about uh, Crystal I, Reports? Do yeah, you Crystal that's Reports? right. Yeah. What they I, did I, to Crystal Reports. Oh, my gosh. That was <laughs> right. And and um, all kinds of different stuff. You know, what, what's interesting and, and Microsoft has really woken up to this is Microsoft had the iPad before the iPad was here. If you, I, I was part uh, back a long, long time ago in the tablet PC launch. You're Do you dating guys remember yourself. that? I know. I yep. know. I know. It's happening right now. I know it's happening yep. right now. But um, Microsoft didn't think that was a consumer product. They thought it was just a corporate I product. I remember that. Yep. And they totally missed the market. They absolutely <laughs> missed the market. They whiffed. The tablet PC lasted a couple years max, and it was gone. And Apple comes out and and with the iPad, and I'm like, wow, this is the tablet PC. And and they missed the market. And Microsoft finally woke up that their consumer brand is not just the Xbox. That you have to start thinking it more of a business. And I think CSP kind of represents that, right? It's how we do business now on the yeah. web, right? We you know, do not, you know, you know we, we just, that's how we transact. Go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say, I think that there's another way that that's manifesting itself in CSP too, which is the expectation from a customer, right? Like that the modern world, is, you know, as a consumer, um, it's, you don't want to be wasting a lot of time talking to someone about, you don't want to get on the phone and call someone to place an order and wait and, and go through all this stuff. Right. And I think that's another way that um, part of it's a byproduct of the fact that it's a modern program. Um, but, you know, I think the same is true of other cloud providers is that uh, what customers are coming to expect is a seamless experience where a customer, I don't want to have to call someone to, for example, add a few seats of Office 365 or decrease 10 seats of Office 365 or to spin up a new resource in Azure, whatever it may be, right? There's this, this really, I think, other phenomenon that we haven't talked about where the efficiency of, of the relationship between a customer and the technology is that I want to be able to, you know, if, if I want to be able to only pay for what I need right now, seasonality or other things that come into, into um, consideration, that they want to be able to add uh, two users of Office 365 right now because my new hires just showed up in the lobby and I need to spin those up. And by the time they walk to their orientation, 
those subscriptions are ready for them. And that's a reality that exists right now too, that, that, that is really enabled by the cloud. And I think that it's a, it's another one of those transformational moments that it doesn't sound super exciting when you think about it, but, but it really is that, um, you know, customers are getting a lot of efficiency back, both in terms of how they spend, right? Because they can only have to pay for what they use, but also when they're engaging with a company to help them solve their problems, they don't want to be wasting time on, you know, how do I submit a purchase order or send you a check or give you a, you know, transact through, use my relationship to transact with you, right? And and I think that that's another huge thing that the cloud has done is that the relationships, I think, that um, customers have with their technology providers are much more meaningful because it's not mired in transaction. As we move to the cloud is what I mean to say, it becomes less mired in the transactional and much more fruitful conversations that are meant to really address challenges or problems or identify solutions. Yeah, and I think that, that that ties back to that consumer thing too. As consumers, we're used to clicking and buying now, right? Yeah. And this is a way where I, I think weirdly the, the, the industry is catching up to that. It's, it's mimicking that consumer expectation. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and you know these are the things that again we 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 know all too well. The, the this notion of being mired in the transactional experience. You know, it was back in the day. You had to worry about upgrades. You had to worry about you know version rights. You had to worry about patching. You had to worry about all this thing that you, you know you were beholden to on you know in an old world Jeez, security. You know, security. and you know this cloud-based subscription-based experience just relieves you all that. You know, and and now you're you know focusing on to your point, Jesse, an experience with the technology provider where there's support services and things that are going to impact your business on a more strategic level. So let me let me pivot there. So Jesse, um, you know, we we have this notion within CSP that not only do we give our customers the ability to subscribe or pay for what they consume as opposed to paying up front, but then they're also getting these support services that we can now bundle into that experience. That's all part yeah. of it. And to me, there's sort of like two implications. And these are two areas that I think you're very, very good at, you know, in our experience. And that's what I would call product definition, right? Because every company is going to define their own products around that CSP offering. It's not, you know, it's the, the support services. There's no, you know, there's no dictate. You know, you can you can add whatever you want in terms of support. We could say you get a free, you know, uh, soft ice cream cone with every 365 subscription. It's part of your price. You know, I mean that. You know, not that we yeah, would do that. Yeah. I'm not offering. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm saying that. I actually like that campaign. I think we got something. There. Ice cream. <laughs> yes. We we looked at it, but we were going to get too mired in that transaction. It was uh, the delivery yeah. was way too manual. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah, great yeah. till COVID. We're going to eat too much of our inventory. But the you know so there's there's you know, like there's the product definition and then there is what I would, you know, the economics behind it, the costing, the profitability, you know, and both those things are huge in our world right now, yeah. um, you know, in terms of what you and I live every day in this part of the world. Can you talk to either of those, you know, just I would love to get your stream of consciousness in both like, you know, what this means from a product definition perspective and the opportunities there, as well as just what it means from a business model perspective. Yeah, I'll actually start on the business model because I think it is interesting The the both, I guess, as you go all through the supply chain from, I'll use Microsoft as an example, uh, as an example. Uh, Microsoft, you know, for a couple of years at conferences or, or, you know, in terms of blog posts that they would post, they were talking about this, is that there, we need to think about how this is changing our business model. And you look now at, at the way, you know, their earnings every quarter, right? What you see is cloud, 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 and they're killing it, right? And part of it was, I think that they sort of, um, I guess, sent the early message that we're going to be going through some transformation. Earnings are going to look a little bit different for a little bit, but then once we arrive at where we're going, you know, it, it's all going to make sense and it's going to be good. And sure enough, it was. And I think that as you go through that, you know, the the business side of it, it is really interesting that um, that. For, I guess, just think about our experience with it, right? You're going to an annuity model. You're going to monthly recurring revenue. And what that means is that maybe uh, if you're used to making a big chunk of change at one time, every three years, use the, the EA that Bob was talking yep, about, yep. Um, you know, that, that there is 
uh, you have to wrap your head around the fact that maybe I'm going to give up a big payday to have a lot of small paydays that add up to a much better experience, right? From a business standpoint, um, you know, and that's that's just you know, uh, that's a hard transformation. But sure enough, as you go through it, it's a, a people have to see it, touch, smell, taste it to believe it, right? Like it, that as people experiencing experience it, and as companies start to make that change. Um, it does take a little bit of time, but then you cross this certain point where all of a sudden, you, you, number one, you get used to it, and number two, you can't live without it, right? That, that, that monthly recurring element of it is really great. I do think from a customer standpoint, um, it, it's very similar, right? That, that when we have conversations with them, that is a big change in, in mentality. You know, uh, I've had this conversation countless times um, where customers are used to, you know, let's say they come to us and they say, I want to renew an EA and they are ready to budget for that. Right. And, and that is a totally different conversation than when you start to ask them, you know, do you have seasonality? Uh, does your, do you have, you know, do, does your, uh, employee base fluctuate, right? You think about things like retail or the sports industry, right? Tons of fluctuations as you go through these, these ma massive industries. And as you have that conversation, the, the appeal will be there in terms of, yeah, I love the idea of being able to scale up and down, but you still have to cross over helping, you know, understand what that's going to look like. They want predictability, right? Customers want predictability, especially when they're entering into a new engagement, especially when they're going through a change. Um, so I think that 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 change management is a huge part of it. I think that customers and technology providers that succeed in this space are going to be um, those that can get comfortable and, and actually create an environment where that conversation does lead to a certain degree of predictability. It's about modeling that out. It's about proving it out before it happens. And I think that, I think that where we've seen a lot of success is that that conversation becomes easier and easier as we have more experiences to draw on that go through that, right? Um, the other part on the product side, like, you know, I think that Early in the conversation, I was talking about how it looks different to every company. I think that my feeling on that is that companies that want to start participating in the CSP world have to have a conversation about, uh, number one, how can I, well, I think it's about how am I true to myself? Who am I really as a technology provider? Who is my customer, right? Because you're not going to be, it, this is transformational, but it shouldn't be so transformational that you know, you used to, uh, well, you know, I'm an apple and I'm going to be an orange in the future. No, you, you might just be a different kind of apple. Um, <laughs> so like a, a big part of it, you know, when, when I think about the decisions that we've made when we're dealing with our customers and when we're thinking about the offerings that want to introduce, it's largely around knowing our customers. And the the nice thing about the CSP program is that it allows, again, all of those different types of partners in the past are operating in the same program. So part of it is being very true to yourself as a company and saying, what, what do I do well and who is my customer? And then how can I really be better at that? How does this enable me to be better? Uh, and I'll use you know, services as an example. How can I provide the best level of service to my customer that is beyond licensing expertise, right? Yes, it's a given that the customer wants to buy, let's use Office 365. But how do I make that product better? How do I make their experience with that product better? And how do I introduce them to a lot more of, you know, any other services or intellectual property or whatever it may be that my company has to offer them? How do I use that to make that experience better? Um, that ultimately is the vision of the program is that, you know, I think that Microsoft, uh, well, I know that Microsoft thinks that their product works best, right? Their ecosystem and their their cloud products work work best when the when the value is enhanced by other technologies or other services or intellectual property. And you know, I think part of it's being true to the program too. Thinking about that and saying, how do I make myself better at what I already am, and how do I bring pieces of what make me great into that relationship with a customer that used to be much more challenging for me to introduce, right? That it wasn't a point of sale conversation. Um, so I know that was a little bit abstract. No, you know, no, no, it good though. I mean, you know, I appreciate where you, where you got to, you know, this notion of value because, you know, that, that is a big part of this evolution for a lot of organizations is 
you know, A, I love the idea of aligning value to your your pedigree, what you're really good at, and making sure that you stay true to that, and that's how you deliver value. For some companies, you know, this whole transformation as a provider has been moving from a transactional provider to a services, managed services provider. And it's not just about being able to deliver that service, but helping your customer understand that you truly can deliver that service and be able to um, have that dialogue, you know, and I, you know, to cheapen it, you know, is to say that learning how to sell and market into this new world, right, which to me is another part of what the CSP offering has done in terms of business transformation. That's making organizations, you know, forcing organizations to learn how to change how they deliver a message and then, you know, go from there, right? Because that's another part of this. It's the offering, right? It's it's not just how it's priced. It's not just its core value, but it's how it's packaged. It's now an offering, right? And that's been something that I know we've spent a lot of time on. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, uh, I'm going to, you know, put myself in the shoes of a customer. I think that one of the things that is a benefit and a challenge in this space is that you really have to, the offerings that are out there are so varied. They might, many of them may look the same at a superficial level, right? But the details really matter in terms of offering development and in terms of when you're engaging with a cloud provider or a cloud solution provider, um, you know, uh, there's this, there's this, superficial level where we know the customer uh, use Office 365 because it's the easiest example, right? Someone wants Office 365 and I'm going to maybe provide support with that. Um, and maybe there's a uh, price point that is sort of generic within the channel, right? It's more varied than that, but, but let's start with that assumption, right? Um, I think that what really is interesting is that to, to be successful in generating, in creating these offers, that you have to create a lot of new engagement models. Um, you know, uh, ways that you engage a customer upfront to bring them into the offer that educate them on the services that you're providing. So that it's a matter of educating a customer, moving them into the, into the new uh, world or helping them solve a specific problem and say, maybe CSP is the right way to solve that. Uh, but then also making sure that when you're developing that offer and when you're talking to customers about the offers that are out there, that you understand the channel, that, that you can look at it and say, well, yes, you know, so-and-so, you know, maybe you're looking at this other offer that's out there in the market and it's a great offer, but have you considered, these are the reasons that we put our offer together, right? And we do believe that it, you know, that maybe you need support on weekends. I'm using a, the simplest example, right? Um, that a big part of it is understanding that this, this is going to constantly be iterating. So when you create an offer, part of it is what has lasting power and what can you iterate on without having to reinvent everything month after month after month as the, as the, as the channel changes, right? And, um, and it's scalability, right? That, that allows the scalability that this program offers. You need the ability to be consistent. We've been pretty consistent, I think, for a long time. But we have made changes, right? There have been things that we have realized that uh, maybe customer, or maybe uh, certain types of customers need more training on the products they're using. Maybe certain kinds of customers, um, you know, uh, really need to be able to sit down and talk to us about this scenario before they move forward. So part of it is how you create this ecosystem around that offer as well. You create your offer, and there should be an ecosystem around it that helps you know, deliver the variety that's needed for customers. Because again, the, the cloud is not a one size fits all thing, especially when you do bring services into it. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, if I'm summing up all of this, I'm thinking that CSP is this transformation of an industry, you know, it really is. I mean, it, it is, yeah. you know, a thread that if you follow from the very beginning all the way through, you'll watch, you know, as each milestone goes by, a company has, you know, real, real changes to all facets of its business to accommodate this new outcome, which is CSP versus yep. where it started, you know, from a transactional perspective. It's, um, I, I, frankly, I mean, it, it, you know, when this is all done and my career is over and I hang up my hat, I'm going to look at this chapter as, you know, like I lived through this transformation of an industry and it'll be all about CSP and rotating around that thing for X number of years. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not the little engine that could anymore. Like it's it's the the, the cloud, you know, um, 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a super exciting time. And I think that the most exciting thing about the, you know, say the CSP program, but this whole transformation is that it truly is resulting in a better customer experience. When we see customers before and after they've moved into CSP, largely speaking, you know, um, I would say almost universally, right? Customers are thrilled once they go over there, right? Once they move into that CSP space and they get that, they, they get that flexibility, they feel secure in that environment, they understand that they're not, you know, that, that what's keeping them there is the value of the program. That's truly why they're staying there and the value that we bring. I think that's been the really exciting thing to me is seeing that it really is helping us help customers more and customers are, you know, by and large, customers are thrilled with it. Yeah, agreed. That's great. Yeah, Jesse, that's a great way to sum it up, in my opinion. So I know we're running out of time, and I'm going to want to end with something fun. So it is Master's Week. I may or may not have the Masters on a different monitor here in my office right now. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I would like to ask the group, what is the best golf course you've ever played? Jesse, you're first. Oh, my gosh. It's so easy for me because uh, my – golf experience goes up to but does not exceed mini golf right so uh so awesome so i love that answer there's a there's a there's a place when i was younger i don't think it's around anymore so maybe i can use their name but yet yeah, i'll just say in uh in massachusetts there's an amazing mini golf course that that <laughs> that's 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 the, the uh, it, that's it won't get better that's than a, that that's it, it. Not get all right so, okay i would say great. that's the pinnacle but that would be too corny <laughs> yeah, that was. That was right. All right, Elliot, what about you? It's tough. Um, all right. I, I think for me, there's, I'll say that there's two two contenders. Okay. Uh, one is, uh, I think it's Princeville in Kauai. Um, oh, at, wow. Yes, at, on the rainy side. Yes, I know is, about um, it, but I have not played it. And that was Kauai epic. has beautiful golf. Epic. But I have to admit, um, I, I really think the best, the Kiowa, I, I golf Kiowa, yep. uh, South Carolina. And um, same, you know, I mean, that's where they they film Bagger Vance. Yeah, and they played um, Ryder Cups there. I think a Ryder Cup's coming, so that's yeah. a big deal. It, that was really, really a, a beautiful, staggering, you know, crushed my soul golf course. But it was still, you know, just yeah. epic, epic course. So that would I would say that. That's great. Yep. So mine, mine is for sure Pebble Beach. Um, oh, that makes that. sense. Got to play that about 10 years ago, and it is a perfect golf course. It is manicured perfectly. It is just a perfect golf course. Loved it. Well, it was one of one, never will forget that day. It was just a perfect day. So, yeah. And that was, um, and that's public, right? Isn't Pebble public? Well, yeah, it's a resort. You have to, if you're going to book a tee time, you got to probably do it six months in advance. So you can play it for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's easier if you stay there and stuff like that, but um you've got to go in and and do it way in advance. But yes, it is not a private club. Yeah. So it's available you, and you never did St. Andrews? No, I have not. I have not made the trip overseas to play golf. I've played a lot of golf. Um, you know, I uh, got to play Pinehurst two summers ago. Um, had a really great experience there, but I've never Never done the Scotland England uh, scenario. I would like to do that. That's on well, my bucket list. Sure. When Pfizer gets its vaccine out, and we are all right. in a place, the three of us will do uh, an epic series of two guys in the cloud from the greens of St Andrews, and I'll, I'll bring my putter. Jesse yeah. will. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So with that, um, Jesse, thank you very much for joining us. This is. Uh, you know, the crazy thing about this conversation is I know we just hit the tip yeah. of the iceberg. So, so much more for us to, you know, talk about. But again, thank you very much. It was great. And uh, with that, I guess this wraps up yet another episode. So thank you all. Thank all right. you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Right, bye-bye.